at the Raj 590, anytime, drop a tweet, and uh, Josh and I will read the tweets throughout the course of the show. Joined by now by Paul Garcia, NBA writer for Project Spurs and the Spurs cast. All right, we'll get him on in... We do have him. Okay, we are joined by Paul Garcia uh, from Project Spurs and the host of the uh, Spurs cast. Paul, thanks very much for joining us. Well, first obvious question, how is this deal going down reaction to in San Antonio? Um, from, the, from the Spurs perspective, uh, in terms of the uh, the fans, the fan base, they're not, you know, they're happy that it's finally over. The Kawhi drama is finally, you know, it's finally over. Everybody's been waiting for this. Even the media here, we've all been waiting for conclusion all summer, even this past season. But as far as the return, the fans are a little upset that, that the Spurs didn't get one of OG Ananobi or, Ananobi or, um, or Pascal Siakam. Instead, just uh, Jakob Pertl on that protected uh, 2019 first-round pick. But I think that from the Raptors' perspective, the reason why they got away with making that deal that way was because, again, they don't know exactly how, how um, healthy Kawhi is in the long term. Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair. And for me, was was the breaking point of Kawhi's relationship with the Spurs, because it seems like it's been trending in a bad direction for like the last 13, 14 months. Was it when Tony Parker made his comments about their respective quad injuries? Parker came back sooner and said his was a thousand times worse or more. Was that it for Kawhi? Was he on the fence and that pushed him over? Or was it already a relationship beyond repair by that point? I think it was already a relationship beyond repair at that at that point. Um, you know, according to Kawhi's camp, his group that was that was a big um, pushing part. But but you know, from the Spurs' perspective, Tony, it was really taken out of context. A lot of us media here in San Antonio, we didn't report it that way with with the headline that grabbed attention, just because Tony was kind of giving Kawhi some advice and kind of just giving him some more motivation to keep working through the injury. Whereas Kawhi took it by seeing that headline, and his camp released it as if um, you know it was a slight toward him. But, you know, I think that this relationship had been deteriorating all the way back to August when the, when the medical was taken out of the Spurs' hand and put into Kawhi's group and where they had to seek, seek outside counsel. And then, of course, you've heard all the different rumors about how um, maybe they might have hid him from, from the Spurs' organization in New York. Um, even not only Tony, but some of the Spurs players like, like Monte Ginobili were saying how he wasn't there, you know, around, around the team when they really needed him, how it's tough to go through injuries. Well, there's no question about that. So, moving forward, DeMar DeRozan now comes into San Antonio. Maybe talk about what Greg Popovich can do for him, because DeRozan's been here for nine years, as you know, Paul. And, you know, outside of Kawhi Leonard, Greg Popovich has been a a mentor, a a great coach, um, well-respected by his players, not always liked, but well-respected by his players. What do you think he can do to help DeRozan maybe acclimatize himself to San Antonio and hopefully take his game, I would think, uh, to another level on the defensive side of the ball especially? Yeah, I mean, for for their offense, they were ranked 17th last year, San Antonio. So, so DeRozan, you know, is everything that they need right now. They need someone who can create his own shot, is a really good playmaker for others, can run the pick and roll. So offensively, he's going to solve a lot of their problems that they have last year. According to one projection, they're expected to move from 17th to 10th next year already just by adding DeRozan um, offensively. But defensively, there is uh, those concerns. You know, you're losing uh, two good defenders last year in Danny Green and Kyle Anderson, and you're replacing them with DeRozan where even on a great Raptors team, you know, they were fifth defensively last year. He still struggled where they were 12th with him on the floor, according to different um, projections. So I think that the Spurs have really good team defense. And, you know, Pop's motto has always been, if you don't play defense, you don't play for me. But obviously he needs DeRozan out there for the offensive um, contribution. So I think that it's going to work out a little bit. I'm really interested to see what kind of, um, you know, jumps DeMar does make here on the defensive end in San Antonio with the coach like Pop. 
DeRozan obviously brings a lot to the table offensively, but I look at what could be the starting five next year and three of the five, him, LaMarcus Aldridge and DeJounte Murray are either non-existent to mediocre three-point shooters and you're losing Leonard and Green who are both above average three-point shooters. Any concern about floor spacing and and three-point shooting or do you think R.C. Buford will find a way and Pop will find a way to maximize the shooting that they have? Yeah, that's going to be a question where it's going to have to be some, um, you know, it's going to it's going to hurt their defense on the other end because I think that in order to, you know, you're right, they're going to have three low volume three point shooters. They're, um, you know, not very accurate three point shooters. In order to supplement that, you got to put some offensive players, you know, who are mainly offensively skilled, like Patty Mills, maybe um, Marco Bellinelli, Davis Bertans, those kind of players. And on, on the opposite, on the defensive end, the Spurs will suffer in that regard. And so, like, you're already seeing a lot of the, the projections and numbers already showing that their defense that was fourth last year, even without Kawhi for most of the year, it is probably going to fall um, probably to, like, that 10 to 20 range, most likely. Be interesting indeed. Paul Garcia is with us, NBA writer for Project Spurs, also the host of the Spurs cast. Roger Lajoie, Josh Goldberg, Sportsnet tonight. Phone lines open, 416-870-0590. That's uh, Toronto area. one 590 Star 590 on your cell. We'll take more Raptor calls shortly. So get on the line, stay on the line. We'll get to your calls very shortly. one 590 throughout the Sportsnet radio network. Get your thoughts on the deal, how you feel about it, how was DeRozan treated, your expectations for Leonard, and all of the very interesting aspects of this deal. Paul, what is the conjecture, do you think, in San Antonio, in your personal opinion, on the long-term future of Kawhi Leonard? We know he's going to the Raptors, but of course, the speculation, not not even so much speculation, but the conjecture, the belief, was ultimately he's going to join LeBron with the Lakers, and this is just a stopgap. The Spurs got what they could, and end of the day, Leonard's playing in Los Angeles at some point in time, i.e. end of this season. Do you subscribe to that, and does that make it a little easier for maybe Spurs fans who don't think they got enough here to realize that end of the day, this is a rental? Yeah, I think they need to realize that. And, and, you know, that San Antonio, you know, should be really happy that the fact that they got an all-star back into Rosen, you know, a lot of those other teams like the Lakers, uh, Philly, Boston, they were not putting, you know, you know, impact players on the table right now in any kind of deals. So San Antonio did, you know, come back with an all-star. And from what we hear right now, you know, he's going to probably leave after a year in Toronto. I think that for the long term of Kawhi's future, it really depends on, you know, what he what he decides to do with his representation. You know, there's been a lot of questionable um, aspects to how they handled this entire situation. Um, and already, you know, just he hasn't even done his press conference with Toronto. He hasn't even arrived there. And he's already, you know, having a leak into media that he doesn't want to be there. You know, he's going to leave after a year. You know, you at least got to, you know, you got to, you know, you still got to um, embrace like the Toronto fans and stuff and, and you know, welcome, welcome yourself to that city without, without just, you know, already saying that you're going to be gone in a year. A lot's been made of obviously DeRozan and Leonard and even a little bit of, of Danny Green on our end. But I'm wondering, obviously, it doesn't sound like Siakam or Ananobi were available. Why do you think the Spurs see Jakob Pertl as being kind of a part of the long-term plan there when the league is moving further and further away from the traditional big man who doesn't really shoot threes? Do you think they could see him being mentored by Pau Gasol? Do you see a fit with LaMarcus Aldridge? What do you think the long-term puzzle piece there is in terms of Pertl and the Spurs? Yeah, I think that it's more of a long-term, you know, like you mentioned, he's, he's only 22, so he has time to develop. Um, and they don't, you know, Pop has shifted way more toward the small ball era where LaMarcus played more five last year. Uh, so, but they didn't have like that from a player from two years ago, Dwayne Dedman, who played the five, you know, off the bench. 
and also start a few games. So I think that you could see Pirtle filling that old Dwayne Dedman kind of role where he's like a rim-running big. Uh, you know, eventually Pau Gasol won't probably be, be in Santa long-term just because next year uh, he has a non-guaranteed option on his contract. So if they want to try to open up some cash space, they're probably going to waive him or try to trade him. So I can see Pirtle being, um, you know, whether that, that becomes a starting f- uh, five next to LaMarcus long-term or just coming off the bench and being that, that backup center uh, long-term. He, he's fine, you know, even in today's NBA where it's going faster and quicker, uh, just doing a rim-running role, and he's a good, uh, you know, defensive center there. So what is the ultimate future, do you think, in, in San Antonio as a destination, uh, Paul? I mean, the, the Spurs have not had to worry about being a destination because they've locked up their core players for so long, and we saw it for so many years with with Duncan and Parker and and uh, Ginobili and, and David Robinson beforehand and Popovich. I mean, they never really had to kind of just look after their own players, had the three great players. Now it's a case of, all right, so it's going to clear some cap room. How much of a destination is San Antonio, do you think, in the eyes of NBA players? Because they got some tough competition, obviously, out west. Yeah, I mean, next next summer is probably not going to be, you know, very very much a free agent destination just because they can they can open up to like 24 million. That's still not enough to get, you know, a, a high level, um, you know, max player without making even more trades. So I think that from two years from now, you'll probably start seeing uh, whether or not free agents want to come here. Uh, also, I just really feel like you you got to look at how the Kawhi situation plays out. If it plays out poorly in Toronto as well. That reflects more on Kawhi's situation, where it wasn't really the Spurs, you know, issues. The Spurs have had an excellent track record here medically, and also, um, you know, professionally with a lot of their players. So I think that that outside outside players will start to see the Spurs in that old, you know, motto of the, you know, the Parker Duncan, um, uh, uh, who, who am I missing there? A Ginobili kind of um, team. So so we'll see, you know, further down the line, you know, how well does Dejounte Murray progress? Derek White, some of their younger players. To, to make this an appealing destination in the future when they do have some cat space about two or three years from now. We're sort of entering uncharted territory as far as the Spurs go in the last 20 or 25 years because you've got no Kawhi Leonard, no Tim Duncan, or no David Robinson, and no Tony Parker. Also, we'll see what happens Ginobili for the first time, I want to say, since like 1990 or even before. So obviously Leonard was looked at as being the guy to take the mantle from the Duncan Parker Ginobili Spurs, and with him gone... Do you think that does anything to Greg Popovich's timeline as the coach? He's getting close to 70. I know he has USA basketball in 2020. Do you think that could be a realistic end date for him? Or do you think this could be the kind of thing that gives him a shot in the arm, keep coaching beyond uh, 2020? I think that as long as they have a competitive team that's going to likely make the playoffs, he's going to, he's going to continue coaching. You know, today he addressed the media after the Kawhi situation, uh, and he basically said that, you know, he'll give up coaching when he just feels like it, either when, when, when he just doesn't feel like, like, you know, going to work every day or, or if the team doesn't want him, basically. Uh, I, I do, though, see that 2020 deadline is probably a, a timeline where he might actually, you know, hang, hang it up and call it a career if the team, again, is, isn't that competitive, if you, you know, especially if they're going toward a rebuilding destiny, uh, type of mode. Um, so so that'll be kind of, kind of something to watch as well going forward. Will be indeed, and we'll watch with great interest. Paul Garcia is NBA writer for Project Spurs, host of the Spurs cast as well, joining us with the San Antonio perspective on today's big deal on Sportsnet tonight. Paul, great to have you on the show. Thank you.